0: morning we're going to look again at Romans 14. told you we would have a couple and it turns out we're gonna at least spend three full weeks here. We're gonna look at the first 13 verses this morning. Before I read it to you though I, I want to remind you of something I said last week and that is I don't think the way we traditionally look at Romans 14 gets it quite right. When we think of Romans 14, we think of the stronger brother, weaker brother. Most of you have probably heard that terminology before. And typically, the way I've heard it, at least, is the stronger brother is the one who understands that we are free from certain uh, requirements, certain uh, rules. The weaker brother is the one who brings convictions about behavior to others. For instance, uh, maybe the most obvious examples are... Uh, drinking alcohol, and the weaker brother says, I think it's a sin to drink alcohol, and I'm tempted if you drink alcohol, so you should not do it, because I'm the weaker brother, and you're supposed to give in to me. That's what Paul says. Or uh, one one that I remember growing up hearing is, you know, since gamblers play with cards, and gambling is wrong, you shouldn't play with cards. Uh, at least not with face cards. If you play with rook, it's okay, right? Right? <laughs> Anybody ever heard of Rook? Guys older than me, people older than me have heard of Rook. Oh, David, sir, are you older than me? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, you are older than me. If you don't have face cards and you can't gamble, apparently, and it's okay to play with those, they invented these special Romans 14 playing cards. <laughs> Thankfully, those that, that deduced that didn't do the same thing with food. You know, like gamblers gamble and that's wrong and they eat. Therefore, Christians shouldn't eat. I'm glad, I'm glad they didn't go that path. Or going to movies. I know a lot of you have heard that. I heard from you that, uh, you know, I, was, I grew up in a, in a scenario where I wasn't supposed to go to movies because people thought movies were inherently evil. If I go to a movie, then I'm sinning. And since you, uh, if you go to a movie, you're going to make me sin. You shouldn't go to a movie either, that kind of thing. That's how we typically have heard Romans 14, that that's the weaker brother, stronger brother. I don't think that's at all what Paul's getting at here. Uh, in those situations, when somebody comes in, and tries to bring a law, a, a binding conviction on you that the Scripture doesn't give us, y- you're not um, defying Romans 14 to say y- you're wrong. That's, that's, it's okay if I go see a movie. Now, certain movies, yeah, Christians shouldn't go see. But movies themselves, or playing cards, is not inherently sinful. That's not the prop. That's not the point here. So, with that as the uh, introduction, uh, let's let me read to you Romans 14, 1, 2 Through thirteen. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord he does not eat. And he gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for, ourso- uh, for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you, again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. So reads the word of the living God. So if the weaker brother is not that person who uh, brings these personal convictions and things, what is he? Well, we talked about this last week. The weaker brother, according to the context here, is someone who is raised in a religion that was not the Christian religion. And think about it, in Paul's day, that was everybody. Nobody was raised Christian in Paul's day. And the, and the two groups that we spent last week talking about there was the Jews who were trained in the old covenant in the old testament scripture and they were largely defined by the days they observed and their diets. Now there was much more to be sure. They uh, they were forbidden to idolatry and those kind of things which were the major sins, but part of the role part of the rules for Jews was they were not allowed to eat pork, for instance, bacon. Remember, we talked about bacon, how, how much suffering they had to endure by not having bacon? And they had to observe certain festivals and the Sabbath day and all of that. Then there was the other group, the pagans, the true pagans, those who, who worshipped real idols who were convinced that these, uh, the sun and the moon were idols and the sea was, uh, were gods, and, and they tried to appease the gods through their wine offerings and their meat offerings, and they had festivals for these gods. And Paul is saying here, when one of this group comes to Christ, someone from a Jewish background or a pagan background, and they come to Christ and they understand that it's not about the rituals, it's not about the days, it's not about the diets, and that there's nothing inherently wrong with the meat and the wine that's been offered to an idol, and yet their conscience is still kind of weighed down when they see this going on by others. They know it's okay. They understand that the meat is not Defiled, the wine's not defiled. It's okay not to keep these religious days, but there's still some sense inside of. Oh, but 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 this is what I've been taught all my life. And Paul is saying those who are stronger, those who understand the truth, are are to bear with the weaker, those who have weaker consciences, those who struggle with these things. And he says here right in the first verse, except the one who is weak in faith, accept him, welcome him, receive him. Remember we said last week this doesn't mean just tolerate them. Don't just put up with them. Don't shove them in a corner somewhere. But receive them into fellowship as one of you, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. So it's not like invite him in and then tell him how wrong he is. Get over it, will you? Come on, don't you understand the gospel? You don't have to do that anymore. Buck it up. That, that's not the, the attitude of, a, of a, a stronger brother. The stronger brother says, I'll be gentle. I'll be patient. You're still one of us. We're on the same team here. It's okay. And that's what he says. Accept him. Welcome him. Receive him. And don't judge him. Don't, don't criticize his opinions. That's the context, that's the scenario of, of the weaker brother. Now I said last week that we don't have the opportunity to apply this as much in our day. It's not like we have a lot of idol worshipers coming to Christ here, and a lot of former Jews coming to Christ here. Oh, that it might be the case someday. But I was thinking about more this week that in certain contexts overseas, they probably deal with this kind of thing quite frequently, especially in the Middle East. Think about a Muslim coming to faith in Christ, a Muslim who's been taught all of his life you have to bow down and pray several times a day to Allah, right, and don't eat pork. And it's even written in the Quran that they're not allowed to eat any meat that might have been devoted to other gods, very similar context. Now imagine uh, someone who was raised in Islam comes to faith in Christ And they understand that Jesus died for their sins. They've called out to him for forgiveness. They believe they are forgiven. But several times a day, they feel like, I need to pray. They won't pray to Allah anymore, but they'll pray to Jesus. I need to pray to Jesus several times a day. Well, that's great. Who's going to complain about that? But then they see you not praying several times a day on the floor, face down, and think, but should, okay, you shouldn't, but you should, but okay, you shouldn't, and this, they have this conflict going on in their minds, or they see you uh, enjoying meat, and, and you have your Thanksgiving dinner, and, and here at Frack, as most of you know, in honor of Thanksgiving Day, when we celebrate our Thanksgiving Eve service, we don't have a big meal, we don't have turkey and all the fixings, because we save that for families to do on Thursday, so what do we have on Wednesday night? Pizza, right? It's, it's the American tradition. Okay, maybe it's not, but it's our tradition. And we usually have pepperoni pizza. Where do pepperonis come from? Turkey, if you're healthy, right? But if you're not healthy, it comes from pigs. Or we get ham pizza, and so you're over there and you have this former Muslim who's come to Christ and you say, hey, we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving dinner tomorrow, but tonight we're having pizza in honor of our home church in, in Colorado Springs and here's some pepperoni or ham pizza. And now they're conflicted because they were taught not to eat this. Well, there's an opportunity in that scenario to be like the stronger brother described here and say, that's fine, that's fine, we'll have veggie pizza. Or pineapple pizza, why does anybody waste pineapple on pizza? Just uh, i don 't know where that came from it's, it, it just seems so wrong, but we 'll have pineapple, and i 'm not even going to mock you for it, like i 'll mock everybody here because i don 't want your conscience to weigh you down it 's not worth it as, as he says later on. The kingdom of God is not about pizza. Loose paraphrase. It, it's not about those things. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Or, similar part of the world, a Jew comes to Christ. And of course, if he's been raised in good Judaism, then the idea of pork, the idea of not keeping the Sabbath, is offensive to him. And, and you could see how a Jew would process through this and think, okay, I understand Jesus is the Messiah, he's the Lord, but I can, I, I don't have to work on Saturday, right? I can still keep the Sabbath. And Paul would be saying, don't mock that guy. Don't criticize and despise that guy. Be patient with him. Love him. Accept that. Hopefully, someday he will realize the full freedom he has in Christ. But if he doesn't, that's okay because the kingdom of God is not about those days anymore, and it's fine. Live with him. Love him. Accept him and don't judge him. He says in verse 2, one person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. He's not really making a slam against vegetarians here. I'm tempted to, but he's not. Remember we talked last week, these are people who think I shouldn't eat meat that has been offered to idols because it's now defiled if it's been dedicated to an idol. And Paul says, some people say, you know, there's no such thing as an idol. It's okay, don't worry about it, just eat it. That's what he said in 1 Corinthians. But if someone, is, their, their conscience is weighed down, then that's fine too. Accept him. One person says he can eat them, one person just eats vegetables. It doesn't matter. The kingdom of God is not about food. We must not make it about food. Then he gives some, some very specific instructions. The one who eats, the one who eats the meat the one who's not concerned about pork, he eats pork, it's fine, is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. Don't despise him. Think about the person who decides not to eat the meat. What is he doing? He is simply not exercising his full freedom. Is there anything wrong with that? Is there anything wrong with somebody saying, I could do this, but I choose not to? Here's an example that came to me this week, and I don't like it, to be frank. Nate, what was the speed limit when you were going 60 miles an hour? 65. You got hit from behind? Yeah. Well, he's going at least 65, right? Okay, so Nate was not going the speed limit. The speed limit limits how fast you can go. It doesn't say anything about how slow you may go. Now, in some places, there are the minimum speed limits, too. But in this situation, just because Nate wasn't going 65, is he sinning? Well, if you're the one behind him, you're thinking, "Get out of the way, right? That's why I don't like it, because I don't like people to go less than the speed limit in front of me. You've heard what grace is, right? Grace is what you hope to get from the guy behind you that you don't want to give to the guy in front of you right? Uh, Nate was not sinning just because he wasn't exercising his full God-given right to go the speed limit. He's perfectly fine to go less than that. And he he paid the price anyway for it. The people who don't eat meat in this context are not sinning. They're just not using all the freedom they have been given. Paul says elsewhere he's quoting, I believe, in 1 Corinthians, he's quoting people who are saying all things are lawful. He says it twice. All things are lawful. But then Paul follows up and says, yes, but not everything is profitable. Not everything is edifying. Just because you can, just because God says you may, doesn't mean you have to or should. It's not always beneficial. It's not always worth your time. And here he's saying, don't regard with contempt. Don't look down upon. Don't despise the one who doesn't eat meat. Why? Because the kingdom of God is not about the food you eat. Who cares what you eat? That's not core to God's heart. So don't look down at those people who don't enjoy all the freedom they could. Then he turns to the the former Jew, former Muslim, former idolater, the one who says we shouldn't eat meat and such, and he says, now you don't condemn the one who does. It's not okay for Nate to condemn the guy that does go 65 miles an hour. Now the law condemns the one who goes 70 miles an hour. That's usually us, me, guilty. 69, because they won't pull you over five over, right, just four. Don't listen to that, children. You obey the law. It's the limit. It's the law. He says, don't condemn the one who does eat, the one who does exercise his freedom. Again, the kingdom of God is not about food and drink. Why? Why can he not condemn the one who eats? Because God has accepted him. If God accepts me, who eats pork probably too much, God accepts me who doesn't obey these rituals and these festivals and such. If God accepts me, then who are you to not accept me is his point. Who are we to look at somebody and say, well, you meet God's standard, but you don't meet my standard. That's not okay. Who are you to just, this is right out of Paul's words here, who are you to judge the servant of another? Look around the room. See all the people next to you, in front of you, behind you? Go on, look, look. Thank you. None of those people are your ultimate judge. You're not going to stand and have to give an account for yourself to anyone in this room. You know who gets this? Kids get this. Some of you have been here, some of you have been the older child, some of you have been the younger child, some of you have older and younger children, right? So I see this uh, phenomenon in my household. The older children seem to believe they have an inherent authority over the younger children, right? Uh Uh-huh. Poor Gabe, he's got four parents. Mom, dad, older sister, not quite his old sister, right? That's, That's his life. Constantly, people telling him what to do, and not do. Constantly, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. What's Gabe's easiest and most effective response when one of his siblings tells him what to do? You're not dad. I don't give an account to you. He doesn't say it that whiny. He says, "You're not dad," and goes about his business. It's really kind of what Paul is saying here. Nobody else in this room is dad except I'm your dad. <laughs> you're, not going to give it, you're not going to stand or fall based on whether or not you meet up to the standards of the people around you. They're not your judge. That's the terminology he uses. He's, actually, it's a stronger terminology than even parenting. He says, who are you to judge the slave of another? We are slaves. We are servants, but not of the people in this room. We are servants to Jesus Christ. He's the master. His p- opinion is the only one that should really ultimately matter to us. He says, to his own master he stands or falls. You stand or fall to your master, not to somebody else. And he will stand. So you're tempted to judge somebody, to condemn them, but he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. Christ will do this. He will cause him to stand before him, innocent and righteous, because of the cross. So it's not about meeting each other's standards. It's about meeting God's standards. He goes on again, one person regards one day above another. He picks out a a Sabbath day and says, we should keep the Sabbath. Or he picks out another day and says, we should do this. Okay? Another person regards every day alike. There is no Sabbath day, there is no special day, there is no whatever. Every day is precious to God, every day is holy. Paul says, fine, those are both fine. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. You decide with your conviction, what do you think the scripture says? He who observes the day, observes it for the Lord. See, we get ourselves in trouble and we start determining motives. We condemn, we criticize, we judge because we're convinced those people are not really genuinely serving Christ. If they were serving Christ, they would observe this day like I do. See how that logic works? I know you don't really want to please God. Why? Because you don't do the things I do. (laughs) well we just said i'm not the judge you're not the judge so paul here is saying the person who observes the day who sets aside that special day he does it for the lord and the one who eats the meat freely he does so for the lord he gives thanks to god every time i eat flame and wrapped in bacon i promise you i give thanks to god <laughs> it's wonderful it's glorious He says, and the one who doesn't eat, for the Lord he doesn't eat. Why does he refrain? Why does he not enjoy all the freedom he could? Because he thinks it's pleasing to the Lord. He honors the Lord with this. And he gives thanks to God for what he does eat. And Paul's saying it's not your place to condemn or despise those who do it differently. He says, for not one of us lives for himself. Not one dies for himself, for if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And what I just read there, we are the Lord's, there's a very important grammatical mark at the end of it. Lord apostrophe S. Now think back to your grammar school days. Apostrophe S. Is what? Possession. Do you realize what Paul just said? Whether you're alive or you're dead, you, me, we are the Lord's. He possesses us. As much as Americans don't want to believe this, we are owned. If you are a Christian, you are owned. You have a master. You have a Lord. We confess Jesus as Lord. That means he owns us. That means he has the right to tell us to do whatever he wants to tell us to do. Now, in context here, the emphasis is somebody else around here, they're not your Lord. You don't belong to them, but you do belong to Jesus. He owns you, and he paid a high price to purchase you. He goes on. For to this end, or for this purpose, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Somebody asks you the question, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus go to the cross? Well, the first response that probably comes to our mind is, he died to pay for our sins. He died because we all have offended God. We've all disobeyed God, and we deserve God's judgment and wrath. And Jesus took that judgment and wrath for us so that he could forgive us, and we are forgiven, and now we have eternal life with him forever. And that's a very good answer. But Paul here just gave us another reason why Jesus went to the cross. For this end, so that he could be the Lord, the King, the Judge of everybody. It's very similar to what the Apostle said to the church at Philippi in chapter 2. So, speaking of Jesus, he says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, the emphasis there is not on the excruciating pain of the cross, even though that was certainly true. The cross was humiliating. It was the electric chair of the day. Only the worst of the worst criminals were crucified. He was publicly humiliated in front of everybody who walked by, and he suffered that humiliation. Why? Next verse. For this reason also. God highly exalted him. Do you see the connection? Because he was willing to go to the cross in humiliation, God exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Next verse. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven... And on earth and under the earth, someday everybody will fall prostrate before Jesus. And whether they like it or not, whether they have lived in honor of Christ or not through their life, they will say with their mouths, you are Lord. They won't be able to hide it or deny it at that point. Next, is there more? Yeah. And that every tongue Every mouth will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see the connection there? Jesus went to the cross in humility, and for that reason, God raised him up to the throne of heaven so that every knee will bow before him. In 2 Corinthians, he says something else about our our relationship to the Lord and purchase. Or is it 1 Corinthians? Whichever one I gave you. Thank you. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own? You don't belong to you. I don't belong to me. We have an owner. Next verse. For you have been bought with a price. Jesus went to the cross as payment So he could own you. It's a pretty high price. Suffer the wrath of God so he could own us. That's what Paul's getting at here. For this reason, to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. He went to the cross so that he could be our king. So that we would give an account to him, not to each other. But you, he says, why do you judge your brother? You're judging your brother who's eating and enjoying freedom. Don't judge him. You're not his judge. Or you, why do you regard your brother with contempt? Why are you looking down upon him? Because he doesn't exercise all the freedom that he could. It's not acceptable. It's not proper. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, not each other. And then he quotes from Isaiah, same thing that was in Philippians 2. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God, so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. The emphasis here is, we're not each other's judge. What we need to be worried about is this, am I ready to give an account for my decisions to God? Not to each other, but to God. If I enjoy freedom, am I fully convinced in my mind this is okay with God and I'm ready to stand before him and say, I ate pork to your glory. And I didn't observe those special days for your glory because I believe this is what you came to do to free us from those rules and regulations. Or are you ready to stand before him and say, I denied myself those things because I wanted to please you and honor you. And I did keep those festivals and those days because I wanted to please you. We're going to stand before him. Every one of us, someday, is going to stand before him and, and say, here's why I did what I did, or here's why I didn't do what I didn't do. As most of you know, on uh, Friday, I turned 45. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, my, uh, my wife asked me to take the day off, and I did, and so I came downstairs, and uh, there before me were three envelopes. And one of them said, physically strenuous birthday package. The second one said, not so strenuous, physically strenuous birthday package. And the third one said, couch potato birthday package. (laughs) See, day two of the NCAA tournament. Oh, this could be wonderful. You know, I had visions of sitting there on this sofa all day and all night watching like 14 hours of basketball while my wife and kids brought me everything I could possibly want all day. This would be perfect. But, you know, my pride got the better of me and I picked the physically strenuous birthday package. So we drove out to the trailhead of the uh, incline on Friday. Yeah, I had never done that before and got about, I don't know, a quarter of the way, a third of the way up, and I thought I was going to die. <laughs> now, wait a hold on, hold on. Now, what you think? I, re- I really just thought, I don't, I don't think I can go any farther. But it's, it's not because I was so tired yet. See, before I opened the envelopes, they made me a three-egg omelet with ham, I think it had ham, and peppers and mushrooms, And they brought me a huge piece of sourdough toast just dripping with butter. And then, uh, well, it's my birthday, so um, if you've not ever had Delbert Tuxhorn's carrot cake, you're going to have some in heaven. I'm I'm sure God's going to ask him to make people. It's really, really great. What makes it so great is it has about three inches of cream cheese icing on top. Well, maybe not that much, but uh, it's great stuff. So, so after this huge omelet and toast, I had a big piece of, of carrot cake. Don't judge me. Have you not been listening? Don't judge me. <laughs> so I get about a third of the way up the incline, and my insides basically said, Look, <laughs> either we will digest your food for you, or we will help you get up the mountain. But we're not doing both. You pick. And I, I I sat there, I thought, I, I can't go any further. I'm looking for the right place to um, <laughs> Yeah, that. And I just thought I, I I can't go any further. I'm gonna die right here, right now. Or maybe if I could get some relief then I could go and I'm having this battle inside. All the people are walking by judging me. They, they weren't here. <laughs> they weren't at church last Sunday, they didn't get the message and I'm And of course, what's on my mind is, maybe nobody has to know about this. And then I said, I don't know, Chris has already put this on Facebook. (laughs) She's got a picture of me sitting there like, thank you, honey, I love you, too. So everybody's going to know, and I'm going to have to answer to Rick Stevens. And Ken, are you here today, Ken? Ken's the one that took me in the, thanks, Ken. He's the one that took me in my first and only 14er, and uh, I almost died on that trip, too. I told Kristen when we started, I don't really want to do the incline, I want to have done it, <laughs> and she wisely said, well, you can't really have done it unless you do it, so I'm sitting there thinking, I'm going to have to give an account to all these people, they're going to mock me, my staff, you know, I'm never going to hear the end of it from Ben and Dan and others if I, if I, uh, not to mention Linda, if I don't, uh, if I don't make it up this, well, in the Lord's grace, I, um, I, I got some relief, not the way you're thinking, but. I don't know, if Dr. Van Os, what the proper, appropriate medical term is, but a couple of good uh, exhales, if you will, belches, and <laughs> <sighs> feel like a whole new man, so up we go. And you know how it is, those of you done it, you know, it's 100 steps, and then you pause, and 100 stairs, and then you pause, and it's 50 stairs, and then you pause, and there's 25 stairs, and then you pause, and it's 15 stairs, and I got into a pretty good rhythm of uh, about 15 stairs at a time, and pause for a second, take a breath, all right, another 15. And Chris at one point said, look, we've only got four more segments of 15 left. like, honey, you're out of your mind. We've got like 10. I was right, by the way. Ah, one step at a time, one step at a time, one step at a time. One of the things that Sophie observed and we were talking about later is uh, all the way up and down, it's like a community. It's wonderful. You've got entire different uh, diversity and demographic going on here. You've got, you know, uh, people who are, these guys who are 80 just flying up past you. It's like, Come on. That's it. Now, there were a couple of guys that looked like they were in way better shape than me, and they were huffing more than I was. Like, oh, I like that. That's good. That's good. That's good. You've got little kids like Gabe, you know, flying up and flying down. Dad, you coming? Yeah, flying up, flying down. Hey, Dad, you coming? Flying up, flying up. Dad, you coming? Yeah. Can I go up to the top and wait for you? Yeah. Come back. Are you okay? Did you die? Okay. No, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. All these people, but it was like this community. And what was what stood out to me was nobody was judging anybody. Everybody was encouraging one another to get up here. People that you didn't know. I heard this one gal who is about twelve steps behind me, and you know after we've been sitting there for an hour, um, (laughs) I heard her say to her boyfriend, "Do you have a tissue? Because I'm going to die. My head's going to explode. I just keep your nose running." Well, I, I stuck like half the Kleenex box in my pocket. Uh, and I, I handed her half of them, you know, I just here, how can I help you? And other people would just come by and they'd say encouraging things. Really, there really was no belitt- belittling going on at all. People say, you know, see you at the top. My wife told several people that. See you at the top. They were going ahead of us. <laughs> that was a statement of faith, I guess. <laughs> and and, and it, it just seemed like the whole spirit was everybody wants everybody to get up to the top. And people would say, "Oh, take it easy, you know, take your time." And we'd find out that I had I had on my uh, a St. Louis Cardinals shirt, you know, because I'm from St. Louis and I love the Cardinals. And I I really felt good about that because that that made everybody assume I was a lowlander too. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, there's a reason he can't make it because he's from St. Louis, you know, <laughs> Mississippi level, right? And they didn't know I've lived here for 17 years. That was uh, that was planned. Um, and so, but all these people, where are you from? Oh, from Kansas, from Kentucky, whatever. Okay, great, then, then I understand. You just take your time. You'll make it. I'm talking like I'm an expert. Yeah, just, just take your time, one step at a time. You'll get there, I'm sure. <laughs> Everybody was doing this. Everybody was encouraging one another and telling people, take, take a, there's, a, there's a get off if you want to get off and take the trail, and just all this stuff. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of the church, of what we're supposed to be. You have people of every race, every demographic, every age, they look different. Some look like they wear a suit on, you know, on Mondays, and some probably never seen a suit even in their whole life. And just all these different demographics, and they all encouraging people, and you got to the top, and it was almost like a welcoming party. like, hey, way to go. That's great. Uh, I told you an hour and a half ago you'd make it. You know? <laughs> it was just wonderful, people taking pictures. Here, let me take a picture for you. And I thought, this is a great picture of the church, of what we're supposed to be. No condemnation, no judging, no criticizing, no pointing out everybody's failures. Just, let's do this. You can do it. Take your time. We can make this. And I I was thinking about this passage and thinking, that's what he's talking about. It's just about making it to the end in faith. And you know what? So as I was sitting there thinking I'm going to you know, have to answer to Ben and to Dan and to you know, what am I going to tell my kids if I decide to bail out early and all that, I finally came to the conclusion, uh, it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks. I'm not doing this for somebody else. I really don't care. If, I, if I'm going to implode and, and die right here, if, it's wiser for me to just get off the trail and, and swallow my pride and, and stop. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It matters what Jesus thinks. I actually had that that thought. Is, 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 is he going to be proud of me if I push through this purely out of pride? No. But endurance, even through hard things, I think there's some character building there. And we got up there and just reflecting on this is such a great metaphor. And that's the kind of thing Paul's getting at is it's not about food and drink and days or not days. It's about encouraging one another, loving one another, supporting one another, helping each other get to the finish line. But if we get so wrapped up in people who aren't doing things the way we think they should, people who aren't meeting my standard or your standard, and we start getting critical of all their failures, we're not living up to what Paul's talking about here. The conclusion in verse 13a is, therefore, since you're going to give an account to Jesus for yourself, not for anybody else, and they're not going to give an account to you because you're going to stand before his judgment seat, then stop judging one another. Instead, encourage one another. That's how he's going to finish the chapter. Don't judge. Don't put stumbling blocks. Don't try to trip them or knock them back down the incline just so that uh, you can say, well, if you'd have done it my way, see, you'd be fine. Encourage, exhort, motivate, draw people up, help them up. Let's see that each other gets to the end. That's the point. But if we get caught up in rituals and routines and traditions and our own man-made rules, all we will do is cause people greater heartache, and it's hard enough getting to the top as it is. I made it. There were times I wasn't sure at all that I was going to make it. That that trail looks awfully good. Maybe I could just sit here forever. People would helicopter in food or something for me. Maybe Jesus will come back today. That'd be fine. (laughs) But we made it. And my lovely wife, she did not make me feel the least bit bad that she was the one saying, come on, you can do this. She was out there leading in front of me. Why? Because she loves me, and she just wanted me to keep going. Isn't that the message? Isn't that what Paul's getting at? Don't judge one. Let's pray. Father, this is hard for us. No matter how many times we reflect on something like this, it seems like we are people given to setting ourselves up as the standard. And it's easy for us to major on minors, to think about our own religious traditions, our own church upbringing, our own Uh, our own ambitions and goals, and want to hold everybody else accountable to those things. And yet, those things are not what you're going to judge us by, but it's Christ. He's our judge. Father, I know that there are segments of the church, there are Christians who who take this kind of message and say, well, then it's a free-for-all. Anybody can do whatever they want to. And that's not the message either. But help us not be the kind of people who are known for what we forbid. Even though we do have to forbid some things, let that not be the mark that identifies us, but may it be righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. May it be love for one another. May it be a passion to exalt Christ and to help other people exalt him as well. Father, if there's any of my brothers and sisters here today that... uh that know they've had a condemning spirit, a judgmental spirit, that they've been critical where it's not right, I pray that you and your grace would just grant them repentance even right now, that they would let that go, and they would stop worrying about everybody else and simply worry about themselves. Father, guard us from that constant temptation to act like we are the judge. For we ask this in Jesus' name. you. <laughs>